He's Christian. He's Jimmer. Welcome back to two PTs and a bag of chips. The bag of real chips this time. We got, we're back on chips. We're glad about that. Kind of, sort of, mostly. Today we're going to be discussing what options do you have when you tear your ACL? Lots of them. And then the chip today is the Lorenz Crunch Chip Voodoo Party. This is a limited edition. Yes. Brought to us by Liz Schneider all the way from Germany. Germany. Yeah, yeah. Germany. Crunch Chips Voodoo Party Scharf Frichtiger Geschmack. So when we talk about ACL reconstruction, it's more specific to say reconstruction than repair because you're not actually repairing the tissue because the tissue is mostly gone. Exploded. And, and isn't, yeah, it legitimately explodes is what we're finding out now. That term used to bother me. I blew out my ACL, but now it's actually it's true. It's actually a lot more it's accurate than we it's thought. It's totally true. So it doesn't bother me anymore. Everyone else, you were right this yes. whole time. Yeah, we apologize. And I'm an idiot. So <laughs> let's just go with that. Essentially, we're talking about two main types of graft tissue, and then within that we have various options. You have what's called an, an allograph, which is from something else. This is what we refer to mostly as a cadaver. And then we also have an autograft, and that's from you. So it's your own parts being refurbished and reused in another location. I'm actually a, an expert. You're an expert. This. Oh, good. Because I had a patellar tendon graft in my right knee and uh -huh. a hamstring graft in the left knee. Oh. So I can, like, objectively differentiate. Wow. First-hand experience, guys. This is this is right in your wheelhouse. Huh. I just realized that. Yeah, and you have a, a child who's had this? He had a hamstring graft. And so you can experience the parental I grief well, yes. that comes with something of this nature. Yeah. I am also a participant in the club. You're uh, ACL insufficient. I am, I am, I prefer to say deficient. No, insufficient. Insufficient, insufficient ACL. We'll talk about that a little bit as well later. But graft type wise, like I said, allograft is from a cadaver. Traditionally, you'll see patella tendon allografts, but they'll use just about anything that they want. Other hamstrings, IT band from time to time. Gracilis. Which is another tendon adductor. They don't really tell you all the time what they're using. No, and it's really not that interesting either. No. As long as it's, um, you know, the, the, the big thing, without skipping all the other important parts, the big thing about ACL, and there's a lot more skill involved than just putting a, putting a new graft in where the old one, where the old ACL was, is, is getting the angle right. Because um, that's what eventually is the most important part in stabilizing and locking up your knee, is making sure that the angle is right. So it doesn't matter what kind of graft you use. Uh, I mean, there's there's some pros and cons to to um, to certain types of tissue, but in general, the, the location is as important, if not more important, than whether or not we use a hamstring or a patellar tendon. That that does not become an issue until it's your body that they take it from, because then it affects um, the healing time. Some order. other items. At the very end, their big takeaway is always going to be it's, it's pretty surgeon specific, but let's talk about some other stuff first. Yeah. Let's do. Auto graft, so coming from yourself, predominantly hamstring and patella are the main places where we're not seeing much, but we're hearing a lot more about quad tendon grafts, and this is done a lot more in the pediatric and youth population. So difference between patellar tendon and quad tendon, if it's above the kneecap, we refer to it as the quad tendon, mm -hmm. below the kneecap, patellar tendon, same, you know, 
part of your quadricep muscle, but just a different name. The theory on a lot of these things is, is the patella has bone on both ends, a patella tendon graft. So you're getting a little piece of patella, you're getting a little piece of tibial tuberosity. That means that you're healing bone to bone already. That healing time is a bit shorter with, with something along those lines. The drawback is that now you have a very uncomfortable front portion of your knee. Yeah, so what I remember from the patella tendon is that your, your, your patella, which is pretty sensitive, anyone who's ever bonked the front of their knee against a desk knows how sensitive that is. So now we're taking a piece of bone out of that. So it's, it's very sensitive. It was a lot more painful in the first six to eight weeks than the hamstring tendon was. Um, plus, the, the theory was that the patella would fill back in, and that, that's not always the case. And so you end up with a kneecap that's maybe structurally not quite as strong as it should be. Um, I like to use um, Jerry Rice as an example where he had a patellar tendon graft on his very first game back. And I think this might have been the first time an NFL player had been injured in the first game of the season and made it back by the last game of the season. He uh, infamously scored a touchdown, landed on his knee, and broke his patella in half. Jerry Rice isn't uh, a good example. So he, Just because the healing time or the, the yeah, rehab time was way too short. I mean, he, came he, back too quick. He, he was a very uh, special athlete. And so four months is, long story short, not enough time for pretty much anybody. No, no, it doesn't matter how good so, you are, how strong you are. You can say all you want, oh, this was unfortunate, this was unfortunate. But realistically, that something was going to happen at some point there. Don't rush back. Big takeaway. Thing with with allografts is that we tend to talk about the tissue is a little less quality because it's freeze dried. The freeze dried process will kill off a lot of the nutrients within the tissue and and just vascularization that already exists. And so what you end up with is a little bit of a higher risk of infection, and you also have a little more laxity in the joint typically. Allografts are, are popular in, in speed athletes. If you're a sprinter, you don't want to start taking quality tissue from other places because there are some long-term deficits there. Uh, in most of us, if you take a piece of hamstring, you may lose 5% or less of your strength. But if you're a world-class sprinter, that's the difference between going to the Olympics and staying, staying home. home. In those particular cases, it becomes a much more likely option. If you're a weekend warrior like myself, you're not going to notice that speed because we're not in the best shape most of the time as it is. So, Yeah, I think that's six and a half a dozen of the other, however that saying goes. Yeah. An autograft, kind of the complete opposite. Fresher tissue, less laxity following, uh, no rejection concerns, infection rates are substantially lower but then you do have a little bit of some strength stuff. And that's being debated a little bit now with the quad tendon graft. And it's hard to say because most of those studies are five years old, maybe, at this point. I mean, it's, a, it's really a relatively new procedure. And so uh, there's not a 30-year history of data available at this point. Right. They used to do a carbon graft. The problem with that is, is that your body will slowly 
uh, eat away at that and eventually you will have no ACL without a traumatic injury at all. And so the last time Jimmer saw one was in the late 19, 80s, early 1990, 90s. Yes. Uh, I saw an individual who had one at some point and then had a revision later, and that was in the 2011 was when I saw that. It's a classic example of, of taking the strongest possible material we can find, applying that in a position where we think that it would be extremely beneficial, and then the body says, nah, yeah, not going to work. Yeah, that's, that's delicious. The human body is amazing. You eat that right up. For me, when somebody asks me, which surgeon should I see, which procedure should I have, should I do this or that, it's, it always comes down to whatever procedure the surgeon does the most is the one that surgeon is going to be best at. And so if you're really inclined to have a patella tendon graft or, or a hamstring graft, you're going to want to go to a surgeon who does those because that's how you're going to get your best result. Uh, or if you want a cadaver graft, you're going to want to go to a surgeon who does the most of those. And the, the, the reasoning there is if somebody's doing 500 patella tendon ACL reconstructions a year, he's going to be very skilled at that, and you're not going to run into a lot of tertiary issues following your surgery. Again, the importance of getting the proper placement, you know, the more often they do that, the better skilled they become at placing that graft at the right angle, at the right position, the right thickness, the right you, what have you. So, it, yeah, you want to go with the surgeon preference. If you trust the surgeon enough, then you should trust the surgeon preference enough. Yeah. Uh, healing times long-term, pretty much exactly the same. I mean, you're looking at, uh, at a solid year for return to sport. You're looking at a, a solid two years for that ACL to really be integrated and now operating as an ACL instead of a tissue that's been transplanted from somewhere else. And so what we run into with all these things is physiology. Physiologically, your body will continue to adapt and continue to remodel that tissue. And, and 12 months is enough time for it to be safe, but it's not enough time for it to be quote unquote normal. Yeah. Back to where it was. Yeah. And so we see that all the time in, in professional sports. A player comes back and they're performing, but they're just not the same player they were. And then the following season, you start to finally see that same caliber of player come back. And people always bring up, well, what about Adrian Peterson? He ran and was the rushing leader, ran for 2,000 yards the following season after an ACL. Uh, again, guys, it's not an apples to apples comparison. There. You're talking about somebody who's, who's well beyond most of us in terms of physical ability. And well, what also well, happened to him was is he, he got hurt right after that and, and missed a good chunk of the next season. So, well, he's also well beyond most of his peers, right? I mean, we're talking about yeah. the upper elite of the upper elite. So, yeah, there is definitely that. Plus, like Christian pointed out, a lot of times we still see that there is some kind of compensation, and eventually they, that will catch up with them, and they'll end up with injuries elsewhere, um, which was the case with Adrian Peterson, too. Yeah. We saw it in, in Lindsey Vaughn several times with her, unfortunately. Uh, an incredibly gifted athlete and fantastic skier, but sometimes you just can't out-train physiology, and, that, and that's the case there, unfortunately. And so the one thing with physiology is that the younger you are, the faster it goes. So if you're 16 and have your ACL reconstructed, it's going to be a lot easier than when you're 35 or, or 45. That's 
those are just the way things go, unfortunately. And so that's tough. Yep. So how about Detroit's surgery versus no surgery? Yeah, so you can choose to do nothing, which is what I chose to do. This doesn't work out well for everybody. It works out well for some people. A lot of that has to do with something called joint congruency. That's when the bones and the other structures in your knee do a really good job keeping your knee stable, and you can rely on the strength of your hamstring to really help protect your knee and prevent that anterior translation from occurring. For some people, that is never going to work. For, for other individuals, depending on your lifestyle and activities, it is an option out there available to you. We're seeing it more and more where people are less inclined to, to have the ACL repaired because after the six or eight weeks initially following the traumatic injury, they're walking around well, they don't have instability, they, they don't enjoy doing the activity that, that tore their, their knee as much anyway, or they're ready to give it up. And so we see a fair number of individuals choosing not to have surgery at this point. You can always go back later and do the surgery if, if things change in your life. If you're a world-class athlete, that's probably not an option you have. But what we do see is, is that in skiing particularly, there are a number of individuals that race at the World Cup and Olympic level that have an ACL that's not attacked. And so it is possible to be done at high, high levels depending, again, upon your sport and upon the, the stresses that that sport places on your knee. Yeah, and more locally, everybody knows the story about John Elway, who was competing without ACL, so it can be done. I think th that's an, that's a, an interesting um, topic, and that may be something for a later podcast, is initially when we became more and more gifted and skilled at putting these ACL grafts in, it was a recommendation that everybody have it done. And the caveat was, well, if you don't do it, you're going to end up with arthritis. That was not something that we knew for a, for a fact. That was something that we anticipated. The theory behind that being, if your knee is hypermobile or unstable, it's going to be moving around more, creating irritation, and thereby causing an increased likelihood of arthritic changes. Turns out that if you keep your knee nice and strong and stable, you don't have that excessive motion. And so maybe that story that you will end up with earlier or more arthritis doesn't really hold up. And I think we, we're seeing it now with FAI injuries, hip, hip labrum repairs, that w once we become more skilled at repairing something, it seems like the need for repairs go up, which, which may, that's kind of an ethical dilemma maybe, it may not necessarily be indicated or it should maybe not be the first choice. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of cases where somebody may, it might help a little bit to have the surgery, but it's not the make or break situation. And it, and it may be worth doing the rehab and, and seeing how the joint holds up. And if you're not, you know, if you're like us, if you're, you know, you like to hike, you like to walk, you like to play some pick a basketball, that may be all you need is just making sure that you stay strong and dynamically stable. And that may be sufficient. So yeah, it's really case by case. It just, it's very dependent. Yeah. And yeah. so, so don't go back to your surgeon tomorrow or yeah. Tuesday and say, listen, this podcast said I don't have to have it repaired. That's not what we're saying. But th there might be instances where it's okay to wait and take a wait and see approach and rehab, get strong and see how the knee holds up. For me, the biggest one is instability in that knee. If your knee is unstable and you're doing the exercises 
then you're probably going to be a candidate for for repair or reconstruction, I should say. And if you're walking around and everything's hunky-dory and there's no real issues, then then you're not as big a candidate unless something else were to pop up or somehow you're limited in some way. Generally speaking, the wait and see approach is probably not a bad idea, and that's something that they've that they've adopted um, with they. I mean, orthopedic surgeons. Um, very rarely do you see an ACL reconstruction done within the first two three weeks after injury. We like to wait six to eight weeks, get the swelling down, do some prehab, and get your mobility back, walk normal again without a limp, get the pain down, and and then have the surgery done. So the whole wait and see approach is really nothing new. Um, but, you know, we, we may want to extend that a little bit. Yeah, and that, that delay in re- reconstruction is due to the outcomes are substantially better when you wait until the inflammation is down and your range of motion is upwards of 90% of typical. And that's why they do that. That's why we do prehab, and it makes a lot of sense. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and we do it in almost every joint if we could, but every once in a while you, you, have, to, you have to do it right away or the, the risks go up the other direction, so. Trivia. Trivia time. Oh, so. that's good. Is that, is that our new trivia jingle? Yeah, why not? How about I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll give a little bit. We can do a trivia jingle, oh. but we'll have to still work on the intro music. Okay, okay, Done. okay. In which country, well, last week's question, sorry. In which country would one find eight of the world's ten highest mountains? Did we get any good ones? Like good mountains? Answers? Answers? We probably did. I'm, <laughs> it's hard to know. Sorry. Sorry. It's hard to that know. was my bad. No, I, w- I would have guessed that. Uh, I would have guessed, uh, well, I guess Tibet first, which is a dumb guess because that's it's not officially not a, a country. country. So I got corrected pretty quickly. But it is Nepal, correct? Yes, Nepal. The country of Nepal. Which is a, I think it's a cool stat. Cool, interesting. I didn't realize that. I was like, oh yeah, Nepal's got a, a lot of them. I didn't realize it was eight of ten, though. Yeah, which yeah. is interesting because they're they're right on the border with um, with India because India has a bunch too. Like, I think K two and Gasherbrum are both in in India. Um, but there you have it, Nepal. Which which reminds me, there was a picture on the interwebs yesterday, which was frightening. Um, this year, the Nepalese government, because it's the main source of income, issued, I think, almost 350 permits on Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. And so yesterday, there was a picture of this this traffic jam by the Hillary Step, which is close to the summit. And there were probably 70, 80 people lined up. It's a problem. Which is... Beside the fact there's dangers and three people have already died this year, but and most of it is because they can't get down fast enough. Yeah. So yeah, a couple weeks ago there was that that Utah dad. Yep. He was the first one this year, but I think a few days after that there was two or three more people. Yeah. So yeah. So it's yeah that's dangerous. Not good. Anyway, on a less uh, sombering uh, topic, this week's question. Yes. How many minutes of play time are there during a baseball game? So this is the actual amount of time where something is happening. Yeah, and and like the sausage race across the field or the mascot hanging out stuff, that's not like the stuff happening, but it's not game-related. So I think we're talking about when the ball is in play. Actual baseball time during a, say, an average three, three-and-a-half-hour game. How many minutes? Yeah. Which is why I don't go to baseball games. Tough. Chip time! Woo! Lorenz Crunch Chip Voodoo Party! 
scharf, fruchtiger Geschmack. So that means it's kind of spicy and fruity. Uh, chip tear ratio, 50%. From Germany. Good German chip. Would go well with a uh, with a Pilsner, probably. Would it? I don't know. Or a Hefeweizen. It's a thin chip. Thin but crunchy. Has a little bit of, um, of spice. You, get, you catch much. more spice. I'm not catching any fruity at the moment. No, I'm going to take the double one. Yeah, yeah that's your favorite. There's definitely thing. a little spicy aftertaste. Really good, though. Not Not like... It's not going to make us cry like the voodoo one that we had here. No, that second chip was crunchier. It's a brief crunch, though. It's not mm. a lingering crunch. It's almost like a spicy barbecue. Yeah. Because I get some sweetness. I wonder if that's what the fruity is. Maybe that's what that fruity is. Um, that's right. I mean, it's it's hot-ish. Yeah, but it's definitely hot is where you can keep eating it. You don't need mm -hmm. a break. It's, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy these. These are good. Too bad you um, you went out of town and you didn't have an opportunity to eat these. Yeah. In Europe at the moment. Because these are going to be gone. I'm on a uh, reconnaissance mission just collecting chips. It's um, tax deductible. Oh, that's good. I should write this off. We totally should. That would make a lot of sense. Thumb up, thumb down. I'm not as in love with it. I'm going to give it one thumb. It, it's, 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 it's edible. You can have many of them. But it's not. Uh, I just don't think it's my flavor. Well, it's mine. It's yeah. it's it's barbecuey, but with spice, which is my favorite. I I I love it. Well, thanks. I'm gonna take them home. Yeah, take them home. I'm gonna have them with a. Uh, yeah, yeah. Take them home because I can come steal them from you. No, you won't. Okay, I won't. That was fun. Next week, shoulder labrum. Shoulder labrum. What is it? What does it do? What do we do with it? One of the best explanations for shoulder labor I ever had was from Dr. Parker. Why are you he telling said, us now? We can so save this for next week. Yeah. Okay. Tune in next week if you want to know what the best explanation for a shoulder labor is. And we are going to review the Quilo fried egg, which will we also be combining with the Himan Iberico, a three-thumb chip. This is going to be exciting. We've got some ham and eggs pretty much coming How, how are we combining it? Well, that's, that was with the requirement when uh, when Steve gave them to us. We have to eat both of these at the same time, so it's fried egg and ham. Fried egg and ham. Oh, oh, fantastic. So so the, the Hamani Berko is an excellent chip. High, highly recommended chip. We, we loved it. So now we're going to add some fried egg to that. Yeah. Looking nope. forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. Can't wait for next week. Yeah, thanks for listening today. If you like the show, tell a friend, follow, review, subscribe. If you're looking for information on this topic, follow us throughout the week on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to know more about Rebound Therapy and Wellness Clinic, head to our website, reboundclinic.com. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.